should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Hello and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because we're still waiting on our admission letters to Austin University to arrive. My name is Kevin and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, whose new book, British Slurs and How to Use Them, is available at your nearest Borders bookstore. Sorry, can I just, the the audience doesn't know because you fixed it in post, but can I ask (laughs) you, the way you (laughs) fucked that up, you tried to say University of Austin and you started saying UC Austin. I always said UT (laughs) Austin, yeah, yeah, because that's the real one, because that's the real one. You said UC, which I was like, oh, Kevin doesn't realize there are universities outside of California, Kevin. Yeah, it was a big fuck up. It all goes that way. Benedict! Yes. Who is America's power couple? Ooh, um, am I allowed to say me and my wife? Uh, I, I, maybe, if you're gonna be. I do not think that is the is correct Is she gonna answer. listen to this episode and uh, you're like, look, I said it's you and me. And she won't listen to this whole... episode, no. <laughs> she, <laughs> she does not like this show. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> She I'm likes the aware. show we did with Morgan, so you should listen to that. <laughs> if, if anyone's on the fence about the show that you know, to be you fair, to for to years one. before you guys moved and got a place with multiple rooms, uh, she was treated to one half oh, of the yeah, show. Oh yeah, she just listened to me. Week. I think that's why, because she just would like she'd listen to my half of the show and be like, "I get it." Like, yeah, she, she gets the gist. Yeah. she gets the gist of I what's going to on here. To Kevin's side of this, um, <laughs> America's power couple, I think, is gotta be, and it's I, he's not really american but he's kind of an honorary american mm-hmm. um tom holland and zendaya god damn it you stole mine you son of a bitch <laughs> or should i just say that you got the correct answer yeah, yeah no that's right yeah it's it's, it's the correct answer. uh zendaland as we call zendaland. them zendaland oh, is that the that's the that's, that's the, the brangelina okay. version of their name yes yes we call okay. that brangelinizing uh yeah I, they're they're america's power couple yeah, and cool. i am emotionally invested in their relationship yeah me and, too and, actually i like having yeah. not I, I i don't care about either of them individually at all, per- okay well how them. dare you he's the greatest spider-man he's the best spider-man uh, i watched the new spider-man on a plane by oh, the way it's so it's fucking good, good isn't it, it? Was isn't good, it yeah. so good it was good yeah even you even you have to admit they have nailed it with the three Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. They have been outstanding. I don't know that I saw the second one, but sure. I may have to force you to watch it. Is but... that the one with the vulture or is that the first one? That's the first one. Okay, That's the first I've one. seen the yeah, first yeah. one and I've seen the third one. Okay, okay. Well, uh, we're going to have to make you watch it. Okay. But... Benedict, that's mm. not why we're here. Oh, shit. Can it be? Why we are here. <laughs> you forgot we're doing do you, a show for a do minute. Do you want to start a different <laughs> podcast where we talk about good stuff sometimes? We're going to have a three-hour-long episode this week if we just start talking about Spider-Man, so we no, better not. No, but we could do that on a different podcast. Mm, this is the program where we go deep, some might say deep, 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 to plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from a work of conservative nonfiction and in between taking a look at other examples of the right doing their best to make America hate again. Benedict! You have a hot take for us this week. Yeah, it's that people should write in and tell you that we need to do a podcast about good <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I'm opposed. Instead of bad stuff. That is yeah. my hot take. Why not? Um, Why not? Why don't we do it? So my, I, I my, what my, that, but also my hot take is I, 
I had a panic attack. This isn't really a pa- this isn't really a uh, a hot take so much as a story and like oh, a great. realization. This is going to a dark place. Yeah, today. no. Well, so right before I flew to the UK last week, and right before my flight, I was like, I think I had been sat on my foot weird, and you know when your foot goes numb. <laughs> yeah. And then so then I was like, oh, my foot's gone numb, but then it didn't go away. So then I was like. <laughs> Is it diabetes? Because, you know, you start not being able to feel your feet when you have, like, diabetes or whatever. So I was like, is it that? And then I was, I had, like, a, this existential crisis of, like, can I ever feel my feet? What does feeling through your feet feel like? So then Benedict, I was walking Benedict, around. you had a weed gummy. That's what happened to you. No, this is just how my brain works sober. Um, so I was walking Am I around. Am going to feel my face again? I was walking around my apartment, like, treading on the different textures. Like, this is carpet. <laughs> what does carpet normally feel like through my foot? I'm going to put a sock on. Can I normally feel my socks? Shoes. Shoes work. I can feel shoes normally, right? So anyway, my hot take is that I don't know whether you should be able to feel your feet or not. That's my question. I am pretty sure that you should be able to feel your feet. Currently, okay. I am feeling my feet. Okay. Uh, and, I, and I think that's normal. I okay. think that's pretty normal. Well, if there are any doctors that would like to tell me to see a medical <laughs> professional that are listening, please let me know. What's your hot take? It's not uh, as my hot take, mine. Benedict. That's what it is. This week is that I am saving my hot take until we actually get into the meat of the episode. Oh. There's a reason. It ties together with if what I we're talking about this week. I could do that every time. Oh yeah, I'm uh, saving it. Yeah, I definitely no, have no, one. No, no, I'm going to save it for the episode. Please. Do you really think I did not pre-plan this? Do you really think I'm just bullshitting in the moment? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. In fact, I did pre-plan this, but. I'll be, I'll, I'll be giving a little bit of my hot take when we get into the meat of the episode. But, let's do it. housekeeping this week, Benedict. Mm-hmm. Remember to rate and review us on the iTunes and the other places that have a star-based system of ranking of, mm-hmm. of some sort or, or another. Or a non-star-based system of ranking. Yeah, yeah any sort of rating system. Uh, I have one update this week, and this is not really an update, but this is something that I thought about, and I liked the way I phrased it. So I just put it down in the update section so I wouldn't forget to get it out at some point. And it's okay. been sitting there for weeks now in my outline of the show. Okay. <laughs> and I just There's not been an opportunity where it fit into conversation, so I'm just going to say it. The problem with the Miesians, the, the von Miesians, oh, yeah, the people yeah. who think that they are purely logical, uh, and those weirdo libertarian types who always talk about logic, even though they don't really know what the fuck logic is. The problem with it even if assuming they did actually manage to use logic and not just bumble on about whatever their instincts say, is that logic cannot be applied to abstract concepts. It does not work with abstract concepts because those are things that are not quantifiable. Those are qualitative things. It's just, it just doesn't, but I see them. And this came to my mind because I was reading an example. I was reading some fucking Von Mies, the, the, you know, Von Mies website and they did the thing that they usually... I, I don't remember the example off the top of my head that made me think of this. But it was something... It was about taxation being theft, right? Mm. It's fucking always taxation is fucking theft. But it was just a, an attempt to extrapolate from per, first principles that the world would be better off if there were no taxes. Mm-hmm. And it just was complete horseshit. In my, and again, I said, I wrote this down in my notes like four weeks ago. And it's been sitting there waiting for an opportunity to get it out. So I don't remember what exactly the example was. But... Logic cannot be applied to abstract concepts. Can I, rephrase, can I rephrase that slightly? Sure. I, like, I like the way you phrased it, um, but I'm going to kind of add my own spin to it, which mm-hmm. is that vibes have no logical basis. <laughs> 
That also works. That also works. Anyways, we have a few additions this week to the Spooky World New World Order. Of course, uh, last time we had that emergency recording and emergency it was all messed podcast. up. And all that stuff happened. So we got a bunch of people in the meantime, and I'm sure I missed people uh, mm-hmm. because, of course, people were sharing uh, the show uh, because we did the, the great episode with uh, Morgan Stringer. Everyone loved it. I loved it. You know, how can you not? It was it's fun stuff. Good episode. Good episode. Uh, uh, so now this week we are inducting, and these are just people's Twitter names because that's what I have off the top of my head. Uh, Kit Adkins, uh, broomstick operator, who is at politics ish on Twitter. Mockingbird Nation loves Moon Knight. Baka, also one of our patrons. Uh, Gamork and Joseph Lennox. All of you are now part of our New World Spooky World Order. Welcome to it. Yes, thank you so very much. And of course, if you would like to become part of our Spooky World New World Order. You can share the show on whatever social medias, by which I mean Twitter, because I'm not going to check Facebook. Uh, <laughs> you can leave us a five-star review, drop me a screenshot, let me know. Uh, make a donation to a worthwhile charity. I'll keep that one up there forever. Yeah, make a donation. Send me a screenshot. I'll make you a Spooky World New World Order. Uh, or become a patron or just get my attention with something good. That's all That's all the good stuff. So, Benedict, mm-hmm. this week, yep. we are not... At the moment, getting back into Mark Levin's American Marxism. Cut it! Go! (laughs) If I had the clip pulled up and ready to go, I'd do it. Um, But instead, I sent you a text yesterday and said, I have to pull an audible. Because that is exactly what you said. We've been putting off the Ron Paul episode and getting Hold into on. the fucking libertarian we. shit. For I have so had long. nothing to do with this. <laughs> to be fair, it's basically Morgan's fault. Yeah. Uh, so you know, Thanks, neither Morgan. of us. No, actually, thank you. Really Please, thank you, thank you for saving me from this shit. But we need to finally fucking get into the Ron we Paul. We don't. But that's fine. We really do. All right, we let's really, go. really do. That's good. That's good. Because Ron Paul, as I've said many times, is sort of the linchpin that brings a lot of these things together. Mm. Even with the weirdo wackadoo movements that existed before him, eventually when he comes onto the scene, they sort of gravitated towards him. Coalesce, yeah. Sure. And the weird wackadoo movements that existed after Ron Paul's Day in the Sun, of course, they were mostly fans of Ron Paul. Do you think they've diverged again now after having coalesced originally? There is some divergence, and that's going to be a part of our story as we go into all this stuff. Why don't I just let you tell me the story? Yeah, why well, No, I like the question. Okay, I'm trying to bring a bit more energy to the pod this week. Yeah, I'm feeling good. All about it. Just got back from a vacation, <laughs> listened to some podcasts on the plane, felt a bit inspired, so let's go. You did. You did. did get inspired. That's literally exactly what happened. I was like, oh shit, this is a good podcast. We should do this. <laughs> you even texted me that. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, the story, what we're going to be telling throughout the next weeks and probably months, because this is, is going to be a big project going into some of this stuff. Uh, is sort of the the story of the weirder parts of the right. And what I would honestly argue is today the more predominant parts of the American right. Okay. Because this is, in the end, what won out, right? The, you know, take take away the libertarianism of it. The weirdness is what won out. The conspiracies and the white supremacy and the, you know, blatant bigotry. That's all the stuff that won out in the end. And I think... There's no better way to talk about it than to talk about these groups and how they took over. And we've done right. the John Birch Society before, and they are a big part of this story. Yep. Um, as we're going to learn uh, later on, Ron Paul himself has connections to the John Birch Society. He is not hiding that at all. Nope. But uh, why don't we just get started, Benedict, talking about our man, Ronald Ernest Paul. Okay. Which, 
when I wrote that in my notes, I couldn't stop thinking of, do you remember the Ernest series of movies? Was that a thing for you? Absolutely not. No, you didn't have Ernest Goes to Jail? No. Oh God, it's so good. I, I I mean, it was terrible. It was not. It was not good comedy. But uh, hey, go check out the Ernest movies if you're if you're still here. But Ronald Ernest Paul was born August twentieth, nineteen thirty five. He is okay. currently eighty six years old. Okay. That is an old man. And also, I would point out now that it is sort of fitting that we are recording our Ron Paul episode on U.S. Tax Day. <laughs> K- kind of a nice coincidence I that we didn't intend. Yeah, yeah, there's a little thing there. No, I thought the tax day was Friday. Is it not? Is it today? Well, no, today is the deadline because I think it was, I don't know, something about the date. I think it's today, isn't it? Didn't it get pushed to Monday? Oh, because Friday was a a market holiday, at least. That's right. Yep, whatever that was. Uh, It doesn't matter. But anyways, Benedict, like I said, this is the story of sort of this libertarian weirdo corner of the internet. Okay. And they're generally pre the internet, in fact. Sure, like, yeah, yeah. Obviously goes back. Nineteen thirty-five, right? Yep. <laughs> no internet then. But generally there are two or three things that get people into libertarianism. Mm-hmm. And I'd say it's, you know, really just two, and that's white supremacy or age of consent laws. Well, I, that, no, I would also say that for like 18-year-olds, it's realizing taxes exist. For the first, <laughs> like having, having like seeing the tax deduction on your first paycheck gets people into weird places. I don't places. know, man. That I don't think it would have been enough thing. to push me into libertarianism. Nah, I think I it was more the white supremacy for me. No. <laughs> it's the white supremacy for me. A... Yeah, yeah. And also, of course, misogyny, but that's closely related to the age of consent law yeah. thing. I'd argue that that's pretty related. But a good number, I will point out, and this is going to be another through line as we go through these groups, is that a good number of prominent white supremacists in the United States came from the libertarian movement of the 2000s, by which I mean prominent white supremacists currently. Of course, we know that libertarians and these sort of fringe right-wing wackadoos, the militia movement, the sovereign citizens, they have had more than a toe dipped in the white supremacist I I have a question, if I may. Yes. Um, Do you think it is from or through... And the the distinction I mean by that is, mm-hmm. were they, did they kind of coalesce and form and emerge from it? Or did they use it as an accelerator to something they were already trying to do? I think it's a little bit of both. Okay. Because I think for one thing, I read something uh, I really enjoyed earlier. I think it was in Salon Magazine. It was uh-huh. like from 2011, 2012. And it was like because of Ron Paul that they wrote this article. It was all about American extremism. Okay. Um, and the author there argued that there is a contrarian trap that leads people into libertarianism and white supremacy. Where like, well, people say these ideas are bad, so they must be good. I think that's true. I mean, I do think, I mean, there certainly is a contrarian trap. I don't know that it's necessarily limited to libertarianism, but like, Mm -hmm. I think you, I think, you know, people like Matt Tabibi and and Glenn Greenwald have, have fallen into that. Yes. (laughs) Yes, they definitely have. But, and there's also, so, you know, the libertarian, uh, because of some of the things they espouse, um, you know, going back to the civil rights movement, we've talked about this with the John Birch Society. Even if you just credit the John Birch Society as just libertarians, which we, I think we've shown they are much more than. They are most mm-hmm. certainly white supremacists for the most part. Um, but their ideology very much appeals to those white supremacists who want to maintain their white supremacy because states' rights, mm-hmm. small government. Get rid of the federal government, all uh, that stuff. Unless I can make the federal government do what I want it to. Yeah, of course, of yeah. course. These people are all, for the most part, complete hypocrites who don't have an actual ideology yep. and will throw away libertarianism at the slightest moment uh, when it becomes more uh, advantageous to go for you know having the federal government do what they actually want. 
Uh, but like I said, a good number of current prominent white supremacists in the U.S. came directly from the libertarian movement of the 2000s, which is, you know, I'd say the Ron Paul libertarian movement. Mm -hmm. uh, Mike Pinovich, a.k.a. Mike Enoch, who is a prominent American neo-Nazi and the host of a podcast called The Daily Shoah. If you don't know what that means, Shoah is the Hebrew word that they use for the Holocaust. Oh. He's a fucking Nazi. That's not he's great. Fucking, he's a fucking Nazi. Yeah, he probably that's thinks up, that's extremely clever, too. Cause, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's a straight-up fucking Nazi, uh, and uh, he, of course, came from the libertarian movement. Uh, Chris Cantwell, mm. a.k.a. the crying Nazi. Oh, uh, from from Charlottesville, yeah. uh, and yes, he is yep. indeed a Nazi. Okay, uh, he was presumably didn't coin that name for himself. Like that, no, that no, was no. Uh, he is a Nazi. Upon him by loves himself some swastikas and some Hitler, and mm. he happened to cry after he got in trouble for Charlottesville because yeah. he thought he was going to die in prison. Mm. Um, and as it turns out, he currently is in prison. Mm. Uh, he started out as part of the Free State Project in New Hampshire. And was a big libertarian uh, internet streamer who first got big for harassing meter maids on YouTube. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Baked Alaska, yep. of course. Remember Baked white Alaska. Supremacist. Yep. Also started out in the, the movement. Gavin, Gavin McInnes. I, I do, okay, um, I do think we have to be somewhat careful with this because Baked Alaska was also like a progressive at one point in his, or like certainly identified as a progressive. In, yeah, and in, I mean, like, we could talk about the like... horseshoe. We could talk about horseshoe theory. No, I don't, I, I don't think about... I don't. I don't think it's even horseshoe theory. I think it's people that fit themselves into movements that they think will be politically expedient to them. Like, sure, I, I think yeah. a lot of people. I my working theory is like a lot of people who end up in these extreme movements don't actually really believe anything. Yeah, I think at some point we're going to have to talk about third positionism. Yeah. Which, if you don't know, you probably know. But that was the ideology of the National Front mm -hmm. in the UK, um, which is basically left-wing populist talking points with a hard right uh, economic and social policy behind it. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot, I think that a lot of people, you know, like the tanky friend I'm always talking about, he has fallen for third positionism. Mm -hmm. I've recognized that in seeing what he's doing. Yeah, I he's... And, and you know. yeah, I mean, th there is there is that, but I also think of, like fundamentally, there are enough people in the world who believe nothing apart from their own self-aggrandizement. Yeah, that just find the political group that will raise them up and conform their own beliefs to that group. Yeah, there's certainly some of those out there. I wouldn't deny that. I would all. argue Bait Alaska is in that group, for example. Sure, like sure. But then you get others, like Gavin McInnes, mm -hmm. Alex Jones, right? Those Alex but Jones. But again, like Gavin, Gavin McInnes, co-founder of Vice, right? Right. Like, yeah. Right, so. and a, and he, I think, came more through the misogyny portal. Yeah. Into a lot of this stuff, because once you start hanging out in those worlds, whether it be misogyny, whether it be uh, you know white supremacy, you're hanging with a lot of the same people because yeah. there's a lot of overlap. And so you might just be a misogynist, yeah. but a lot of the other misogynists that you're talking to are also white supremacists. I presume there's a reasonable amount of overlap with, like, the men's rights groups as well. Oh, yes, people. there yeah. is a lot. Yeah, yeah. There is, as a matter of fact, a lot. Uh, but so anyways, I just wanted to point out, like I said, with Chris Cantwell, the crying Nazi, uh, a quote I found from him, which I found to be um, pretty revealing, I think. Uh, this is from a Daily Beast article. Uh, about uh, libertarians and white supremacy. And this is a quote uh, that Cantwell wrote after the Unite the Right rally, which you may recall is where uh, James Alex Fields murdered Heather Heyer. Uh, he was one of the organizers of that, and this is, you know, around the time he did his little crying video and got called the crying Nazi. But he wrote on his blog, quote, about, this is about his conversion from libertarianism to white supremacy. 
As immigration became a leading news story in America and Europe, Lou Rockwell gave a talk titled, Open Borders Are an Assault on Private Property. You might recall Benedict Lou Rockwell, someone we've talked about before on this show, mm. associate of Ron Paul, mm -hmm. guy who probably wrote the racist emails, yep. or the racist newsletters, a part of them. Continuing, from here I decided to read Hans Hermann Hope's Democracy, The God That Failed. From these I realized that the libertine vision of a free society was quite distorted. The society we saw actually would provide far more order and control than, than would modern democratic governments. It would encourage more socially conservative behavior and less compulsory association. Just when I thought I had everything figured out, I was once again reminded of my naivete. And then he continues. People should be free to exercise complete control over their own person and property. If blacks are committing crimes or Jews are spreading communism, discriminating against them is the right of any property owner. The fact that he may or may not miss out on good blacks or Jews is a risk he takes, and the merit of his decisions will be proven out by the market. That's Since a libertarian good. society would permit this, it seemed foolish that I should be compelled to support a democratic government policy, which did not. It was only after all of this that Donald Trump seemed worth taking seriously. That's an absolute baby brain way of thinking. Like, mm. well, I can't have the biggest thing on my house that I could possibly... My sofa's not as big as I want it to be, so I should be allowed to rob the sofa next door because that's my yeah. private property. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? It, well, you know, the fucking bullshit libertarian focus on property. They always talk about fucking property. Yeah, but property. it's using property to justify things that have nothing to do with their property. Right, because they're assholes. Like propagation of communism. That is nothing to do with your property. I'm aware. I know you're but aware of these fucking dickheads. Well, because he wasn't talking about property. He's talking about the ability to discriminate with his property. Because what he's really in favor of is, you know, segregation and shit like no, that. That's what he's arguing. to discriminate with his property. It's to discriminate on the basis of property that, like... Right, but Bennett, the not. segregationists will argue that, you know, for example, the restaurant owner shouldn't have to, you know, serve blacks because it's his property. That's the argument. That's yeah, what but he's it's, it's one there. step more than that. It's like this person might. But Bennett, he's a fucking I, Nazi. Yes, Do you expect know, him to be logical? No, no, I don't. No. <laughs> But now, Benedict, why don't we actually get into Ron Paul himself? And ordinarily, I would start by giving you an introduction to Ron Paul, mm. you know, myself, from my own words. We did that But this time, I think, yeah, this time I think the better course of action is to play the introduction he was given before a speech he gave in 2007 during his 2008 presidential run. Um, it's about an hour-long speech that originally ran on C-SPAN at the Robert Taft Club in Virginia. Okay. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, we're not going to play the full hour speech, obviously, but we're going to start I with the introduction he's given by this this guy at the Robert Taft Club, and then he's going to, uh, Paul himself is going to speak a little bit. But I think this is incredibly revealing. Um, particularly uh, first-time members to Robert Taft events, I invite you to uh, visit our website and uh, see some of the interesting things we have coming on later in the year. Uh, we have some interesting things planned. Um, before we begin, I'd like to thank uh, the other members of the executive board, um, Dan McCarthy and uh, Kevin Deanna and Marcus Epstein, who actually founded the club just around a year and a half ago. And uh, their tireless efforts are invaluable. Thank you. And I'd also like to, uh, I'd like to remind you that the Robert Taft Club, uh, we're a nonpartisan group. Uh, we're, you know, we have many... Uh, Ron Paul sympathizers amongst us, <laughs> um, but we would, we would certainly invite all presidential candidates to come speak at our forums. I think Giuliani would have a very interesting time. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I, I'd like to give a special thanks to uh, the Ron Paul 2008 staff, uh, particularly Amanda Lee, Jesse Benton, Jeff Frazee, and Justine Lamb, who worked with us 
uh, the whole time. Thank you. I know it seems like there's no reason why I'm playing this for you, Bennett, but trust me. That, it really does. I'm Trust me there. I, every time he says a name, I'm like, should I know that name? Because <laughs> you said so many names. I'll go, I'll go over the names. Don't worry. Uh, I'd also like to thank, this evening would not be possible without the generous support uh, of our patrons, uh, particularly Peter Brumlow and the Vider Foundation, uh, Fernando uh, Galaviz, um, and how... So, Bennett, do you see yet? Do you see yet why I'm playing this whole preamble at yes, the beginning here? Yes, listeners can't see how my face changed when he said V-Dare Foundation. <laughs> but I know you can. Because <laughs> you, I know, are very familiar with the V-Dare Foundation. Yes. Because I've forced you to become familiar with them. Yeah. We'll continue. Here we go. Howard uh, Ziegermark, who all uh, gave generously to the Robert Taft Club. I'd like to thank them. A year away from the presidential election, conservatives stand at a crossroads, especially when it comes to the issue of foreign policy. This was certainly not always the case. For 60 years, conservatives of a variety of stripes, traditionalists, libertarians, Wall Street conservatives, neocons, were able to look over some differences. <laughs> What did he say? This is 60, yeah. For 60 years, this happened. Okay. Uh, they were able to look over some, some very obvious differences uh, and able to rally around opposition to the Soviet Union. Uh, indeed, I think one could say that the post-war conservative movement would be impossible without that foreign policy consensus. The end of the Cold War brought a host of new opportunities, but it also brought about some serious very difficult questions that in many ways the conservative movement has been unwilling or perhaps incapable of answering, uh, such as should the U.S. sustain the fighting force abroad or should we withdraw and kind of bring the troops home and invest a peace dividend at home? Uh, should we actually cons have, make considerations for the spread of democracy abroad uh, or spread of human rights abroad or something like this or to take part in humanitarian interventions? Also, what could be the role of international bodies that arose during the Cold War, such as the UN or NATO? Should these have, a, uh, should these have a, a role to play afterward? Again, the conservative movement never answered these questions. Sometimes they would support interventions, sometimes not. Sometimes they would favor democratization, sometimes not. Certainly after 9-11, President George W. Bush has forcefully uh, reinvented uh, the foreign policy of the Republican Party, and by extension, much of the conservative movement. Uh, to be one of active interventionary attacks. Sorry. And to this, he's married. Hold up. Sorry. D no Republican since fucking World War II has been, or since the since the end of the Cold War, has been pro-intervention anywhere. Is that what is that is that what you're trying to sell me? You mean there's magic? I think beams. his argument is more that since the Soviet Union fell, George Bush was really the first. To go, yeah, you know, George H.W. Bush. Duh, duh, Benedict, I know, just timeline-wise, duh. <sighs> but give him a moment, we're, we, we got a little bit more. It's a long video, we're, we're playing a lot of this video, and I'm sorry that we're not talking throughout most of this video, but I want to get this out, because, trust me, this is worth it at the end. A visionary faith that America represents a universal system that we can export abroad. In the president's words, we are led by events and common sense to one conclusion. The survival of liberty in our land increasingly depends on the success of liberty in other lands. The best hope for peace in our world is the expansion of freedom uh, in the whole world. Or Baghdad is going to be a democracy by next Tuesday.
What's that? Oh, Benedict, I see you giving your almost agreeing with him face. You're gonna regret that in a few. No, moments. I didn't. I just I was gonna make a see you next because Tuesday. Joke. Even if that statement is correct, he means it for a vastly different reason no, than you do. I was I was just I was gonna make a see you next Tuesday mm-hmm. joke. That was all. Mm-hmm. While such sentiments might be appealing, the reality of the U.S. occupation has led a substantial majority of, the, of Americans to disapprove of the president's conduct of foreign policy and to seriously question democratization as a foreign policy rationale. In this way, conservatives have an opportunity to chart a new course. If we're going to really rethink everything, then there's no one better to turn to than Representative Ron Paul of Texas. Representative Paul was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and graduated from Gettysburg College and Duke University Medical School. After serving as a flight surgeon in the U.S. Air Force, Paul and his wife Carol moved to Texas in 1968 where he began to practice as an obstetrician and gynecologist. And he's reportedly delivered some 4,000 babies since then. Uh, Paul first entered Congress in 1976 representing Texas 22nd District and he was one of only four Republicans to support the presidential candidacy of Ronald Reagan in that year. Um, After leaving Congress and returning to medical practice, Paul ran for president in 1998 on the Libertarian Party ticket. Uh, And In 1997, he returned both to the GOP and to Congress uh, and this time representing Texas 14th District. Recent years, Paul has been one of the most principled critics of the Iraq War and American foreign policy in general. But while Bush bashing is now pretty easy, Paul has distinguished himself by opposing the Iraq War on both strategic and constitutional grounds. And mm-hmm. I'll um, cite one example. In October of 2002, Paul introduced legislation whereby Congress would officially declare war on Iraq. Uh, which it is their prerogative to do in the Constitution, and not simply authorize the president to do so. While another GOP candidate wants to check with his lawyers before... Can you pause that a sec? So his argument is that Ron Paul is anti-war because he wanted to go to war through congressional means. Yeah, okay. by the way, Ron Paul did, in fact, actually vote in favor of the AUMF, with, which authorized yeah, the invasion that, of Iraq in the first place. Yep. And I will argue, uh, I think repeatedly throughout this episode, that Ron Paul's opposition to war is not so much the bright, principled, libertarian one you'd like to think. Uh, there are much deeper and darker and more racist reasons behind his well, anti-interventionist... I've drafted this bill that we're going to go to war. fascist reasons behind his anti-interventionist <laughs> foreign policy. <laughs> Before making a military strike, Paul reminds us that we might want to perhaps check with the Constitution beforehand. Uh, please help me welcome Representative Ron Paul. So that's that's the introduction to okay. Ron Paul Benedict. What what do you think of that? Did it give us a basic good overview of the guy? I don't know. <laughs> did it give Maybe. us a little more? Did it give us perhaps a little more information about Ron Paul? I mean, that wasn't intended to be given to us about Ron Paul than we otherwise would have liked. To be there, which is Benedict. Do you know there's a reason why I didn't tell you who that was that was introducing Ron Paul there? No. Do you want to take a guess at who that was introducing <laughs> Ron Paul? No. Benedict, that was America's most prominent neo-Nazi, Richard B. Spencer, okay, that's introducing it. Okay. Ron Paul. I thought it sounded like him. I, that's it. I'm done. I'll see you later.
Oh, he's walked away. He's walked away from the microphone. Benedict has left. <laughs> Benedict, was that payoff not worth it? <laughs> I mean, maybe. I still think it was too long, but that's fine. Oh, it was definitely too long. <laughs> We're going to have to cut some of that, I think. Oh, it's all going to the episode. We it's just, all going to just, the episode. We just platformed Richard Spencer. <laughs> Yes, that was Richard Spencer, America's most prominent neo-Nazi, most famous for being punched in the face while he was trying to explain the Pepe pin he was wearing. Mm -hmm. That is Richard Spencer. (laughs) Introducing Ron Paul. And to be fair, to be fair, in 2007, uh, he had not yet openly declared his love of Adolf Hitler. He just was at an organization like the Robert Taft Club, which was founded by neo-Nazi Marcus Epstein, mm. uh, who was also the director of two organizations founded by white supremacist Pat Buchanan, mm. and who also wrote for V-Dare at the time that that speech took place, attended American Renaissance, which is a white supremacist organization's yearly conferences as early as t- 2006, and who had previously invited white supremacist founder of American Renaissance Jared Taylor to speak to the Taft Club in 2006 on the issue of, quote, race and conservatism. Okay. That's, by the way, one of the names that Richard Spencer noted at the beginning. He also, in his introduction there, noted Kevin Deanna, uh, who has his very own extensive page on the Southern Property Law Center website, uh, dealing his his- detailing his history as a white supremacist. Uh, he founded a fascist youth organization called Youth for Western Civilization, Uh, And over multiple decades, he wrote white supremacist articles under the pseudonyms Gregory Hood and James Kirkpatrick Mm -hmm. for V-Dare, as well as the American Renaissance website, uh, other white supremacist blogs, uh, one of which, for example, is, quote, James Mason writes in Siege, which is a white supremacist novel, that white advocates must think of all white people everywhere as our army. They may not volunteer, but circumstances and political action will cause them to be conscripted. For white advocates, the overall strategic objective of political activity is to make race the defining difference between various political, cultural, and social groups. As a precursor to the formation of an ethnostate, the great dream of the white republic. That was Kevin Deanna writing... Under one of his pseudonyms. These are the people who invited Ron Paul. And like I said, to be fair, Richard Spencer was not an open Nazi at the time, but he was very much a Nazi at the time. And all the people who knew him knew he was a fucking Nazi. Also listed there, fun stuff, was Jesse Benton, Mm -hmm. uh, who was Ron Paul's communication director in 2008, uh, then Rand Paul's campaign manager in 2010, uh, and then in 2012, he again worked on the Ron Paul presidential campaign. Uh, And in 2016, he was convicted for bribing an Iota state senator $70,000 to endorse Ron Paul in that 2012 campaign. Awesome. He was then pardoned by Donald Trump on December 23rd, 2012. Did the person... Endorse Ron Paul. Yes, yes, they did. Yes, they did. Did they Uh, also get in trouble? (laughs) I believe they did. He was then indicted on September 20th, 2021 for conspiracy to solicit and cause a campaign contribution by a foreign national, as well as multiple false filing with the FEC and false records charges related to that. Can I ask you a legal question that is Mm -hmm. not legal advice, but which carries more weight as a crime? Paying a bribe or accepting a bribe? Ooh, you know what? I don't know the answer to that okay. question. But I would have to say probably uh, receiving the bribe because generally you're going to be right. a public... 
you're going to be a public figure, and there are generally some statutory elements, some statutory crimes specifically for public figures accepting a bribe that are pretty harsh to try and dispel that sort of behavior. Counterpoint, famous Uh people never get in trouble. (laughs) Also true. Yeah. Also true. So we're actually not going to listen to any of Ron Paul talking in that. Okay, good. (laughs) Because he's boring. He just tells some dumb stories. He uh, claims that he has a wrong... uh, Well, uh, I don't know how I got here, but... uh... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. He claims that he has a uh, a Taft quote from uh, this uh, Robert Taft, not from William Howard. Uh, but uh, Robert Taft was actually, I think he was the son of William Howard Taft. Uh, and he was called Mr. Republican. That was his name. Um, he was a pretty bad dude who wrote the Taft-Hartley bill, the Taft-Hartley mm-hmm. Act, which was a union-busting bill. He's a bad guy. Yep, that's uh, But uh, Ron Paul claims that he has a quote from Robert Taft on the wall in his office. And he gives a version of it that is just not true. The version he gives is that the quote is that Robert Taft said that uh, military conscription only happens in totalitarian countries. That's not the real Taft quote. And you'd Mm. think if he had that on the wall in his office, he might know the real quote if he had ever looked at it. Yeah. Uh, The real quote is, quote, military conscription is essentially totalitarian. The complete regimentation of the individual at his most formative period. And if I had to guess, the quote that Ron Paul actually likes from Taft is, quote, If we admit that in peacetime we can deprive a man of all liberty and voice and freedom of action, if we can take from him his family and his home, then we can do the same with labor. We can order the farmer to produce and we can take over any business. If we can draft men, it is difficult to find an argument against drafting capital. That's because capital is people to Ron Paul. Yep. Uh, but uh, that's that. So that's interesting, is it not? I sure, I guess. Yeah. Look, I found that video. I was like, oh fuck, we're doing Ron Paul. <laughs> we okay. have to do the Ron Paul because that's too Personally, good. Personally, don't know if it was worth pushing the episode. I think for, it was worth it. I think. I think. It was I think worth we it. need to teach you a lesson or two about what's interesting and to you versus what's what interesting to the audience. But Benedict, this so this area of the right, you know, probably Paul himself. They they probably prefer to see themselves as one of the characters uh, singing. Do you hear the people sing from Les Mis? Uh, but really, they're just drunkenly screaming, "Master of the House." You know? <laughs> uh, they're like that episode of Always Sunny where the gang uh, goes to the high school reunion and they all think they're just killing the dance routine, and that's all inside their heads, yeah. and they're just a sweaty, embarrassing mess on the outside. But anyways, Ron Paul, we got the basics of his biography there from Richard Spencer, so I won't go over it. Uh, mm-hmm. He's the son of uh, Howard Casper and Margaret Paul. Uh, if you need any more idea how white this man, his father was literally Casper. Uh, and, you know, like he said, he went to medical school at Duke. Did he, he, did he take his mother's name? I think I asked um, you this before. No, 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 no. I just didn't say her. Uh, I usually do say the maiden name, uh, and it's uh, Dumont. Nay, du- Paul Ney Dumont. Okay. I'm assuming it's pronounced in the French fashion of Dumont. Dumont. Yeah, something like that. Dumont. Looks like. But according to Paul, while he was a medical resident in the 1960s, he read Friedrich Hayek's Road to Serfdom, which to Every me will always... Every one of these motherfuckers is like, well, I read Hayek and now hate taxes. Like... Oh, yeah. To me, it'll always just be the book that Glenn Beck flatulently, flatulently held up and said, real freedom fighter. Um, and then from there, Paul started reading von Mises and Ayn Rand, and he met Murray Rothbard, and then it was 1971, and Nixon ended participation in Bretton Woods and closed the gold window, 
And that's when Paul decided to get involved in politics because all these people are weird fucking gold bugs. Mm-hmm. Fucking all the far right. Marine Le Pen had a whole thing about returning French gold to the people or some shit. And Poland and Hungary, they're all about gold. And I found out recently that uh, AFD, Alternative for Deutschland, mm-hmm. uh, they started an online gold sales business in 2014 cool. that sold fucking Krugerrands. Oh, that's they sold Krugerrands. They're also Nazis. So. They are also yeah. Nazis. Yeah, it's very true. But so Paul started in 1974, where he was first defeated in election by the incumbent Democrat Robert R. Casey. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then Casey was appointed by Gerald Ford to the Federal Maritime Commission, which led to a special election in 1976, which Paul won. And then he immediately lost the regular election, which I think was probably later that year. I couldn't find a date on that. Uh, But then he finally got going in 1978, when he defeated Democrat Robert Gamage. And then won election in 1980, 1982, and in 1984, he decided to run for the Senate instead of the House and lost the Senate election. Cool. So when he left uh, office for the first time in 1985, his seat was taken by Tom DeLay, Mm -hmm. uh, better known for later becoming the Republican majority leader, then getting indicted for money laundering in 2005 for campaign finance issues, uh, and then appearing on Dancing with the Stars in 2009. Great. And after losing the 1984 uh, Senate race, Paul founded Ron Paul and Associates with his former campaign chair uh, Mm -hmm. and racist, crypto-fascist, anarcho-capitalist Lou Rockwell, uh, who we have talked about on previous episodes Mm -hmm. as the believed author of a good number of the racist Ron Paul newsletters. And since we've talked about the newsletters before, I'm not going to go very deep into them right now. But for those of you who didn't hear that, basically, uh, Ron Paul at this thing had a bunch of really horrible racist newsletters that he wrote. Uh, They came out from his company, Ron Paul and Associates, and they were known in his campaigns in the 90s, and one of his challengers did uh, bring it up and try and challenge him on that, but it didn't really come out in earnest until Ron Paul 2012, probably because people like Dave Weigel, who's a great journalist, pulled them up, and he had sway with the actual libertarians, because he was a libertarian, I think he probably still is, um... And that's when people started questioning them because they were unbelievably racist. Like Mm -hmm. one of them said, for example, that, quote, black activists who wanted to name New York City in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. should instead name it Welfaria, Zooville, Rape Town, Dirtburg, or Laziopolis. Yeah. And another one had the quote, quote, Boy, it sure burns me to have a national holiday for that pro-communist philanderer Martin Luther King. I voted against this outrage time and time again as a congressman. What an infamy that Ronald Reagan approved it. We can thank him for our annual Hate Whitey Day. Yeah. Yeah. And as we... Yeah. (laughs) It's bad stuff, man. It is, but we've been over this before. I can't bring myself to react to it again. I'm sorry. I know. And like we said before, when we've covered this, Paul himself probably did not write most of the racist newsletters. But good reporting by people like Dave Rockwell uncovered that people like Lou Rockwell, or I'm sorry, (laughs) Dave Weigel, uncovered that people like Lou Rockwell, who worked for him, did, and that Paul supposedly looked over and approved all the newsletters before they went out. So he knew about the racism, unquestionably. Uh, It's also notable that Lou Rockwell and Murray Rothbard who were friends of Ron Paul and horrible people in their own right, who we've talked about, had a very intentional strategy of appealing to white supremacists to try and build their third position coalition. They were actively trying to do that. But he also, in this time, and this I don't think we've ever brought up before, founded a mail-order coin dealership called Ron Paul Coins. Okay. Which existed for over a decade. That's fun. Always the fucking gold sales. Yeah. Fucking gold sales every time. And of course, he created the foundation for rational economics and education that we've talked about before with reference to the Ron Paul Institute. 
Otherwise known as <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> uh, but one thing we haven't talked about in depth before is his possible connection to the invasion of the small island nation of Dominica. Okay, yeah, you hinted at this. So that's I good. did, and look, here's the problem, is that I just ordered a book about this, okay. like, literally two days ago, so it hasn't shown up yet, and I haven't had the time to read it. So we might have to come back to this in the future okay. at some point, because this is a wild fucking story. Uh, and we've, we talked about it, but, you know, Ron Paul did he, may have did been he aware. think it was Cuba? An island in the Caribbean, you say? Let's go. It's possible. It's possible. Ron Paul may have been aware of a white supremacist plot to overthrow a company, a country and establish an island nation for white men. That's the gist of the story. In the Caribbean? And in 1981, the way this went down. Lads, have you, heard of, have you heard of sun can- skin cancer? <laughs> this, is not the pla- well this is not the best place for you. Invade one of the Canadian islands. <laughs> Newfoundland. That's yeah. where you want to go. In 1981, nine men, including the leader, Mike Perdue. Nine uh, men? Like, nine men. It's one island. How much can it, it cost? Benedict. I didn't say it was a well-thought-out plan. Again, <laughs> these are all Nazis, Benedict. They're all fucking well, Nazis. The, one of them, Benedict, the is a Canadian neo-Nazi named Wolfgang, Wolfgang Droog. That's his fucking name. Well, the white, with... the white man is supreme. How can we possibly... <laughs> nine of us should be enough to take on a, a nation of... What is it? I don't know. Uh, like... I think they really thought that. I really think they did think that. Uh, but the others involved, James Alex McWhorter, who was an eventual Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, Don Black, another Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. It has a population of 72,000. <laughs> Do these people know they're not actual wizards with magical powers? Like, no, has anybody told them? No, they didn't. <laughs> but Don Black, uh, Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan and founder of the neo-Nazi website Stormfront, mm. uh, and uh, a number of other people, uh, nine in total, Sorry, were arrested. Sorry, Don Black? Can you just... His name's Don Black. Okay, yeah, he must yeah. hate he's, that he's shit. Been a, he's going to come up when we talk about sovereign citizens and probably when we talk well, when we talk about militias, for sure, It's it's he's going to come back. As a white supremacist, he must hate that. <laughs> But they were arrested by the feds as they were boarding a boat in New Orleans okay. that was loaded with automatic weapons, shotguns, dynamite, and for good measure, what a Nazi flag. What was the plan? I don't know. The book is on its way, Benedict. By the way, the book is called Bayou of Pigs. And I I, I mean, you really should check it out. I, I really can't wait to get it. Because just with a, a name like that, I'm excited to oh read it. Oh my God, that's Just with a, a name title. like that, I'm super excited to read it. Um, but as it came out, these men were apparently planning to go to the island nation of Dominica with the intent of overthrowing the government, uh, which had recently had a general strike that caused the resignation of its white prime minister, mm. uh, a guy by the name of Patrick John, and the election of the first black leader the nation had ever had, a woman named Eugenia Charles. And their plan, of course, was to take this boat full of guns and put the white prime minister Patrick John back in power and make the island a great home for white people and probably have slavery or something okay can i I also just say like it's really fucking far from new orleans (laughs) it's so far again they're nazis they're not the most intelligent people out there it's basically in venezuela (laughs) it's so far away well they had a boat (laughs) (laughs) it can't have been a very big boat for nine of them Oh, the the boat thing is great too, because like the guy who owned the boat originally had like told them no, and then the feds came and they're like, "Nah, we need you to like tell them they can use your boat, and then we'll get them as they're getting on the boat." Oh, it's, it's a god. It's I 
I can't wait. We're gonna we're gonna do a fucking episode on it. I'm sure we're gonna have to do a fucking episode on it. But anyways, the entire reason this connects to Ron Paul is because Mike Perdue, who I will say, as far as credibility goes, was a Nazi, <laughs> claimed. <laughs> That the Texas governor, David Duke, and Ron Paul knew of the plot. Okay. So that's that's where the possible connection to Ron... And I don't know how, you know, I don't know the veracity of that. I, I can't say. But I don't not believe it. Uh, so Once again, it is a three and a half hour flight from New Orleans to Dominica. How long would that take on a boat? I have no idea, but I really Just Google, Google Maps doesn't give you the option. Google Maps uh, yeah, needs I, to have a boat option. I'm also, I'm also just imagining like a single outboard motor. Just like <laughs> they break down in the middle of the crew like, pull, pull. <laughs> Anyways, Benedict. In 1988... Uh, he ran for the presidency for the first of many of his doomed campaigns uh-huh. on the Libertarian Party ticket, despite the fact that the Libertarian Party had a long history of being a pro-abortion rights party, and Ron Paul is an anti-abortion libertarian mm, somehow. How does that work? Yeah. I, it doesn't, because yeah. he doesn't actually have libertarian principles. It's mainly about white supremacy mm. for him. Uh, I don't know if you know how that election turned out, Bennett, Not 1988. Well. I don't want to spoil it for you. Do you think he won? No, I think Bush won. <laughs> well, he got 0.5% of the vote, or about 431,000 votes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in 1992, he decided not to run for president, probably a good move, mm-hmm. uh, and instead endorsed known white supremacist Pat Buchanan. That's 1992 was probably his best fucking chance. <laughs> I mean, I think that might be the year David Duke also ran. It was, a, it was definitely, that... uh, it was, there was more than two candidates in 92. Yeah, I don't... David well, Duke I mean, ran th- for Senate in 92, I think. No? 1992 is also the year... You know, Bill Clinton won that year, and that's the year that... Uh, um, oh, God. Uh, uh, oh, I can't remember his name. Weirdo from Texas. The weird billionaire from Ro- Texas. Ross Perot. Ross Perot. Perot. That was the year Ross Perot run. Yeah, Ro- Republicans Ross blame Ross got Perot. like 20 million votes. Yeah, Republicans blame Ross Perot for taking... But I've seen some stuff that really says, well, Ross Perot sort of took from both parties evenly, so... You know, didn't really just, you know, ruin the election for Republicans. But remember, anyways, Benedict. Dan Quayle was the Republican nominee. Isn't that funny? <laughs> You've never heard of Dan Quayle? No, I know, oh, I know who Dan Quayle is. I just forgot he existed for a second. <laughs> uh, but so he came back to office uh, in 1996 in a different district than his previous one. Uh, and in the primary, he had the support of Nolan Ryan, who's a famous baseball pitcher you probably never heard of. Uh, pitch for the Texas Rangers. Mm-hmm. And Steve Forbes. Great, great group of people out there. And then he stayed in Congress until his retirement in 2013. But we all know of Ron Paul, of course, because he ran for presidency in 2008 and 2012. And in 2008, uh, he ran... A lot of people liked him, right? That was a a big... Yeah, and I think part of that is, again, the bullshit, you know, being anti-war. And it's one of those things where, like... Yeah, he's pro-weed, but not for the right reasons, yeah. right? He's pro-weed because he wants to destroy the government so that there's no government to make it illegal. <laughs> yeah. He, he's not anti-war because he has an opposition to imperialism or anything, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's really just because he's an idiot who thinks the federal government shouldn't do anything, mm-hmm. right? He actually, uh, around, I think this might have been 2001, 2012, he suggested that rather than war, the president should issue letters of mark and reprisal. Basically sending out privateers to do the warring, which you you may notice we basically already have with Blackwater and shit. Yep. 
Yep, yep. And of course, he did vote for the AUMF that authorized the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. He's, he has done that. But anyways, in 2008, he ran, uh, and he basically placed fourth in almost every primary, except Iowa, where he was fifth, and Nevada, where he came in second place. There, there's some more in there, but it was just funny how often he came in fourth. Mm. Um, and during that 2008 campaign, he was espousing some basic conspiracy theories. He's always been a conspiracy theorist, right? He is, uh, he, and actually his brother, his brother has been on Alex Jones' show more oh, than fun. Ron Paul has. Cool, yeah. Because his brother's a nobody who's just trying to glom onto his, you know, onto the famous name of the Paul family for some attention. Uh, but they are, they've been openly uh, appealing to the conspiracy world for a long, long time. Um, he had on his website during the 2008 campaign, a conspiracy about a NAFTA superhighway that was cool. uh, a part of the plan to destroy American sovereignty and create a North American union. That was one of the big sure. conspiracies at that Why time. Not? It's actually the topic of Alex Jones's, um, one of his documentaries, Endgame. Mm. Uh, that is, that is Alex Jones's, that's the main thrust of that thing. And boy, that thing was never a reality. Um, <laughs> boy, that never happened. <laughs> And then in 2012, of course, is probably the election where he got the most attention. And that might be because technically he won the Iowa caucuses. Yeah, but like I could have technically won the Iowa okay, caucuses. But, but, like... but he got the third highest number of votes in the Iowa caucuses, but somehow he won the Iowa caucuses, yeah, right? Because caucuses, caucuses are fucking, are fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon if I had like $10, I could win the Iowa caucuses. Well, if you have 70000 I think you can. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm sure it had nothing to do with Jesse Benton bribing Iowa state senators. But even then, like I found a New York time article, uh, from that, like the date that it was announced that Ron Paul won the Iowa caucuses, which that article said, I mean, it's not going to affect the fact that we all know Mitt Romney is going to be the candidate. Yeah. So. I mean, that's like, I mean, Buttigieg won the Iowa caucuses for the sure. Democrats and yeah. then never won yeah. anything again afterwards. Exactly. So like, yeah. Exactly. It's fucking Iowa. Um, but uh, he got less votes in the caucus than Romney or Santorum did, but still technically won. And then he eventually withdrew from the primary in May, claiming due to lack of money, despite the fact that he had backing from Peter Thiel, mm. uh, he would not be actively campaigning in the remaining states. And from there, Benedict, he's basically just done a podcast for the last decade. That's And what had he's some done. form of brain injury on live TV. Which... I mean, yeah, there was, there was that. There um, was the stroke. It's funny, um, it's funny that... The brain injury is not funny, but the it, I, it I, is, yeah, I didn't want to look. I I thought about playing that, but yeah, then I thought no, yeah, no that's we don't want to no, play that. But no, I don't. Find it I'm not. I'm to. not. Yeah, I'm um, not a fan of that. It's funny that he ran out of money because the big thing of like the Margaret Thatcher quote that they love to trot out <laughs> is the problem with <laughs> socialists is that eventually you run out of other people's money. Well, bet you ran out of other people's money too. Yep. 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 He did. He did. But, Benedict, positions? You want to know what the man's about, right? As I said, he's against uh, yeah. uh, American intervention for all of the wrong reasons, because he kind doesn't of, actually... but also drafted a bill to go to war in Iraq. Yeah, yeah, he, he also did that. He yeah. also did that. And also, he's uh, very much in favor of imperialism when it's not the United States. Mm. Uh, he is. He was, of course, in favor of Putin's invasion of Crimea oh. and currently opposes supporting Ukraine during the Russian that invasion. That makes sense, yep. Because he's because he's a bad guy. Uh, he also, of course, accused George Soros and the National Endowment for Democracy of doing a coup in Ukraine mm. in 2004 when uh, Viktor Yanukovych was peacefully ousted by the Orange Revolution. Yep, they love to do that. They love to say that was a coup. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we've heard that before, haven't we? Uh, he's anti-Israel uh, and doesn't oh, believe the country should exist and wants the whole area returned to Palestinians. 
which could come from a place of opposition to the apartheid state, or, and hear me out on this, he's a white supremacist and is just old school anti-Semitism. Because mm. uh, I did find Thank an you. article on The Conversation, uh, which is a shithole of a website. Uh, <laughs> just, I, I, have, I do not love The Conversation, because it's that bullshit both sides is a bullshit uh, it's just academic like it's just academic articles right uh, generally like no it this one isn't this okay. was um well this was responding to a former employee of ron paul's uh who had written about ron paul and basically laid out yeah paul's just a fucking anti-semite that's why yeah. he hates israel um one of the the quotes from there was that he doesn't think that saving the jews is any of our business which apparently came up in a world war ii context which oh. is not a great context for that. No, that's maybe the worst context yeah, for that. Yeah, and this this same former employee, like, you know, he was fired by Paul, so you can take that with a grain of salt. Guy could be making this shit up. But he also went out of his way to, like, defend Ron Paul's libertarian bullshit views in this article and, like, say he was, like, you know, he, he's Ron Paul. Like, he's a huge fucking fan. Yeah. So I don't know where to land on that. But given the fact he was introduced by Richard Spencer mm. at the beginning of our episode... Doesn't look right. Yeah, I... I have a feeling. Uh, and uh, then, of course, on economics, Benedict, uh, he, be- he believes in non-economics being mm. economics. Yep. Um, he claims to have photos of von Mises, Rothbard, and Hayek hanging in his office. Cool. Not economics, not not economists. Mm-hmm. Those Drives. are just people who, who think they can yell. Um, he, of course, wants a return to the gold standard. Of he does. Because they're all fucking gold bugs. We, we need to do an episode on this whole fucking gold thing sometime, because there's... You know, we've talked a little bit about it with the John Birch Society and the hard money thing and all that weirdness. But also, a lot of these people just fucking want money. They just want to make money off gold. That's what they're about. He's, of course, a climate change denier. Mm -hmm. Uh, He wants an end to birthright citizenship, which is something that totally non-racist people want. Um, And he believes that secession is, quote, a deeply American principle. Which uh, you may recall that only the slaveholding South mm. ever tried, so it's certainly a principle for a certain group. Yep. But hey, man, he likes weed. Yeah. He, he likes weed, Loves man. It. Isn't this guy just great? Shouldn't you just support this dude? Because he likes weed. Ron Paul is not your fucking friend. <laughs> as far as I can tell, he has only ever authored one piece of legislation that has passed. Okay. In 2009, he introduced and was the sole sponsor of a bill titled H.R. 2121, which is captioned, to authorize the administrator of general services to convey a parcel of real property in Galveston, Texas, to the Galveston Historical Foundation. Right. That is the sole piece of legislation that Ron Paul ever wrote and passed. Perfect. The only one he has listed as a sponsor on, rather than a co-sponsor which is generally when you actually wrote the bill. Yeah. That's that's what it is. And you know, he's deeply connected to a number of extremist organizations, some of which we've talked about, some of which we're going to talk about in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the keynote speaker at the 50th anniversary celebration of the John Birch Society. Um, I was going to play some of that, but it's a boring, rambly pile of nonsense and like bad anecdotes. It's literally just like stories about his grandkids and shit, and it's not entertaining at all. He doesn't, okay. But it is clear to me from that speech... He's very familiar with the Birch Society and knows yeah. the writings of Robert Yeah, Welch. I mean, we know that. Yeah, he, he knows that. Um, and uh, one of the best things, though, to ever come from Ron Paul's career, Benedict, of doing nothing, which is basically what his career has been. Aspirational, is, honestly. 
the campaign song from his 2008 campaign. Is this what we're closing on? Which is written and performed by Amy Allen, now the lead singer of the ska punk band The Interrupters, okay. whose song I was playing when we got on this call earlier. Gotcha. You see how it comes back? Yes. The audience didn't hear it because we can't play it because of copyright concerns, but I played it for Benedict. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> It blew my mind when I found out, because I fucking love the Interrupters. Like, they have a couple of really great songs that are in multiple of my playlists. And She Got Arrested, the song I was playing when we got on, that's one of them. I was blown away. But Benedict, we can't play the sound of that Can you uh, do a cover version of it? No, it's not because of copyright reasons. It's because, as far as I can tell, that song has been scrubbed from the fucking internet with a nuclear device. Yeah, I mean, she would presumably not be too happy about it. Please, if anyone can find it, please send it to me. Just a version of it, please. Because I want to hear it. I found the lyrics, or if but anyone I cannot can, like, find a vaguely the remember the tune, just send yourself. Yeah, send, if, like, if you want to hum it into a microphone yeah. for me, we'll do a cover version of it. Kevin will sing I, it on the podcast. Benedict, I did find the lyrics, okay, and I am going to it. read the lyrics to you um, to the tune of "She Got Arrested." No, I, I don't think it, I don't think it fits. I <laughs> would, but I don't scan, think it fits. Probably. So <clears throat> the song goes, Benedict is the intro. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Which she isn't a ska band, so I get. The threes. I get it. I, Good in, morning, America. In my head, this is a Rage Against the Machine song. So it's Zach De La Rocha just going, wake up. Good morning, America. Wake up. Rise and shine. Rise and shine. Then we get into the hook. Ron Paul, save our constitutional rights. Ron Paul, we're not going to give up the fight. Ron, Ron Paul. Paul. Start a revolution and break down illegal institutions. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't scan. And then the first verse, Benedict. Ron Paul. No, (laughs) No, the Ron Paul doesn't doesn't continue. (laughs) We don't want no war no more. Bring our boys home to our shores. Booyah. Booyah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Can we try and think about how that would go? So, I we can't. Don't That's no why I want to no hear more. this song. Bring our boys home to our shores. <laughs> Booyah! <laughs> we don't want big government or the Bilderberg Group that pays oh. for it. Oh. Booyah! <laughs> Bilderberg Group, Benedict, that is classic Classic conspiracy theory. Classic, but, classic, yeah. classic conspiracy. That is, I mean, that's that's straight up. Uh, uh, there's an anti-Semite uh, publication called The Spotlight mm-hmm. uh, that had a guy named Big Jim Tucker. And the thing that made Alex Jones famous, if you've ever read the book Them, was that Alex Jones went with Big Jim Tucker and uh, John Ronson and broke into, like, the Bohemian Grove, which is supposedly connected to the Bilderberg Group. And Mm. uh, John Ronson went with the anti-Semite Jim Tucker to uh, the Bilderberg Group meeting. I don't remember where they were. I think it might have been Spain or Portugal. Uh, But yeah, that's classic, classic conspiracy theory stuff that made it into this. Next line. The federal ID means a police state. Booyah. And Mr. Jefferson's rolling in his grave. When our names turn to numbers like 666, booyah, according to the gospel on implantable chips. That's straight up. I mean, that's, that's, I, I, I can't describe to you how. She fit like three conspiracy theories into one verse of this song. Yep. Does this person have other, like... 
Benedict. Her music is fantastic. Okay. I, I highly recommend checking out The Interrupters. Also, she was, I think she has a fucking Grammy as a backup singer, or she was on a track that got a Grammy, I think. Also, she was on the first uh, Sublime with Rome album as a singer. Okay. Which is a great fucking album. Yeah. Go fuck yourself, people who don't like that. You're all assholes. Uh, next verse, Benedict. The Patriot Act took our liberties, and there's no judge and jury. Booyah. Tapping our phones, breaking down our doors, waging on the people a civil war. Booyah. We work three jobs and bring home no pay. Booyah. The IRS takes it all away. Okay, no it doesn't. The people, they're not paying you enough. And we struggle slave to pay the rent. Booyah. So, Ron Paul for president. And then, and then, and then it goes to the the final, the final hook. Which goes, Ron Paul, booyah, we haven't followed the Constitution, and that's what we ought to be doing, I'm guessing is how that's said, booyah, and then there's a second, booyah, the system that we have today is ripping off the middle class and the poor, booyah, (laughs) booyah, can you imagine how great a nation we'd have if we didn't have the Federal Reserve System printing all this money, booyah, (laughs) <laughs> this doesn't sound like I don't believe this is a This song. lost the thread at the end yeah, it it lost the fucking thread And can you imagine how great the country would be If I'd, actually if I were president And I was allowed to be king actually And then it, oh, if God. I could just make any rule that I wanted And I could Look, rewrite please, the constitution Someone find me an audio version of that fucking song Please I have to know how that went I have to know it's just, it, it might be the greatest song ever written for all What's I know. It I, I, it could be. But Benedict. What's it called again? Remind me. It, it, it's just called the Ron Paul Anthem. That's what it's called. I looked. I could not find okay. it. I searched on, on the music apps. I searched on Spotify. Uh, I searched on YouTube. I searched. <laughs> I searched on Apple Music. Um, I did a Google search. I looked all over the place. Could not find an audio version. I swear to God, I think it's been fucking scrubbed from the internet. So, she did she also do his 2012 one? Who was this again? I, I don't think so. This is uh, Amy Allen. Yeah, she did a- his 2012 one. A- Amy is spelled one. A-I-M-E-E. She did his 2012 one as well. Ah, well, which is probably called, not that far off it's from called, this one. Which is, is called <laughs> Revolution. Yeah, man. Um, like I said, if anybody can find it, please send it to me. Please, for the love of God, send it to me. I want it so bad. But Bennett, to close out the episode today, why don't we do one little thing? We have a final video here. Uh, and this is from his 2008 campaign, which was his funnest campaign. I mean, 2012, he had to deal with, you know, everyone knowing he was a white supremacist. Uh, but in 2008, it was all just Ron Paul fun and games. And there is a video that came out, and this is on YouTube, uh, apparently, this is some sort of rally or something he held called the Rally for the Republic. And I seem to vaguely remember this just okay. from whatever place I was in in 2008. Because that was right around the time I was going into this far-right bullshit. Um, and this, uh, this is on YouTube. And apparently, the full thing was available on DVD. So if you have this fucking DVD, I want <laughs> I want the Ron Paul... Rally for the Republic DVD. Please send me send it to me because apparently it also has a musical performance by Amy Allen on the okay, DVD. There you go. Yeah, I want this fucking DVD. But uh, let's see what a little bit of what this is about here. Why don't we?
Most people want to prevent other people oh, from doing God. things they don't like. And Ron Paul, almost unique, maybe unique among all politicians I've ever been around, refuses to do that. Benedict, you know who the fuck that is, don't you? Was it, it, was it Tucker Carlson? It that's like fucking Carlson. Tucker. That's fucking Tucker doing the intro for Ron Paul in 2008. Yep, that's yeah. right. Not surprising. Look. I don't know who the fuck this guy is. Set. Look at what he has done. Look at this historic event. Oh, the slobbering the on Ron Paul is, future is yeah. something. With our help. Inspired by one man's journey. It literally the says that. The of the vision that Ron Paul and the Founding Fathers have put forward is it is not necessary for us to agree on everything. It is necessary that we agree that we should all be free. That man got shoved in so many lockers as a kid. A people awaken. <laughs> we take our stand in our backyards, on our front porches, in neighborhood diners, in Sandlot baseball diamonds, and country churches, and rock and roll clubs, and volunteer Why is fire departments. Music okay, in the, in the that man has never been to a rock and roll club in his no. fucking life. <laughs> no. Why, why is it Highland music in the I background? Why are there bagpipes? You know what? There probably is a whole episode in white supremacists' love for Scotland and, uh, you know, because they have like a mythical, idealized version of Scotland, I guess, you know, the, the, probably, probably if we had to be honest, because of, I wouldn't say Highlander, (laughs) probably because of William, well, the fake William Wallace from Braveheart that they came up with for the movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's probably where they get a lot of it from. And all those preciously little voluntary institutions that are the lifeblood of this beautiful Voluntary country. institutions. Yeah. United in liberty. This is it. Look around this room. This is the hope for America and for liberty in the world. The American Revolution. We are finding new leaders to carry the torch of liberty. And believe me, we can win. Continues. <laughs> Who will stand with us? Remember, Benedict, this is an advertisement for a DVD for a political rally. Yep. <laughs> because it's all fucking grift. If somebody gets me a copy of that DVD, I will make Benedict sit and watch the whole thing with me for a fucking patron-only bonus series. Yeah, that seems right. <laughs> that seems but right. Benedict, did you learn anything about Ron Paul today? No. <laughs> Nothing new. I did you learn whether he is or is not your friend? He is not my friend. That's been made very clear <laughs> to me. Well, but you're, you're white, so he is your friend. Maybe, yeah. But he, he's not... Most people's friend, no. I would say. But um, yeah, that's that's the man himself. And 
like I said, the reason why Ron Paul was the beginning of our little libertarian series here is because so many of these currents run through or into or around Ron Paul. Because he has been, for the past 20, probably 30 years in the United States, the premier figure of the wackadoo right. Every single group out there of these sort of wackadoo weirdos, sovereign citizens, militias, anti-government extremists, white supremacists, up until the time of Donald J. Trump, Mm. if you had to ask them who was their favorite politician, they would either tell you David Duke at the time when he was pretending to be a politician, or they'd tell you Ron Paul. Because they recognize in his words the things that they believe. That's what it is. That's what it comes down to. But anyways, Benedict, I had fun. Did you have fun? Yeah, I did. Did you have fun getting tricked into listening to Richard Spencer? No, I didn't have fun with that, but I did have (laughs) other fun. It's okay. I'll show you the video of him getting punched again after we're done. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) Thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash mygbc become a patron for as little as $2 an episode, and I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, but I will say it again here. As soon as I find the time to actually go in and redo our whole patron bonus structure, we will be introducing a $1 per episode patron level. Mm. Uh, Because that'll be the level where I don't have to say your name at the end of the episode. It's not that I don't like saying everyone's patron names. It's that over time, it's become a thing where I get to the end of the episode, I'm like, oh god, I have to read this whole fucking list. Yep. And I would like to not have to do that. That'd be nice. I'd appreciate it. But please, we still want support. Give us the support. That, like, yeah, keep, we still want people support levels. And also, you know what? I still want people to be able to go and let, you know, because I think some of the stuff we've done on the patron only side, some of the, the patron only book reviews and stuff, it's been good stuff. And it's uh, provided some interesting information that I think people should have. Yep. I think especially the, the John Burns Society stuff was great. I think we did some good stuff there. So you will be able to check it out as soon as I get the time to go around and go in and change that. That's when that'll happen. But for now. For as little as $2 an episode, which remember is only the book review episode, so it's really only $4 a month. It's not uh, It's not every week. For patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of our episodes, and more. And as always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Tinker's Dam, Janet Yutter, Stefan, Shannon Hillman, Utah Outcasts, Paws, Brent Lee, David Garrido, Dave Barwick, Charles Trulier, Dodd Snow, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Ellie Bartlett, Mockingbird Nation, Bacaw! Benjamin Carlisle. I said I was going to do that every time a while ago. I don't know if I can keep doing it every time. I don't know if I can do it every time. Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Becky Scott Fairley, Stephen and Cindy Demick, AJ Brantley, Taro Tucannon, Skeptical Seventh, and Balls Watterson. Thank you all as always for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, she got arrested. Whoa! Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. Grandmother's Book Club podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.
Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.